This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard today. Coming up uh, just after the top of the hour, Aaron Ambrose, defenseman for Team Canada. We'll stop by another thriller last night, Canada over the United States. Jamie Lee Rattray with the Heroics. Uh, also, uh, we're going to be talking about the New Jersey Devils as well. Uh, Luke Hughes debuts tonight uh, for New Jersey, patrolling the blue line. Uh, R- uh, Ryan Novozinski will stop by from NJ.com. In the meantime, listen, I know I've talked a lot about uh, one very specific fourth-line player for the Seattle Kraken uh, this season. Actually, I've talked a lot about one defenseman who's probably going to get some some Norris Trophy love as well. He's not going to win it, but he's going to be on some ballots, down ballot all being, but still Vince Dunn should probably be there. But there's a lot of great headlines coming out of Seattle. And the big one is they're going to the playoffs. Uh, Allison Lucan, uh, uh, Seattle Kraken studio analyst, joins me now. Allison, how are you today? A pleasure to talk to you. How are you? There we go. We got you on. Um, bro, I'm great. Uh, great to hear your voice one more time. Um, just w- before we sort of drill down on some of the players and, uh, you know, Seattle's facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights uh, tonight, that should be uh, another good one here. Um the entire system, I, I want to ask you about not just the Seattle Kraken, but also Coachella Valley, who I suspect by the end of the season, when all the, the tallying is done, I mean, they may be like the number one revenue generator uh, in the American Hockey League. And, oh, yeah, it's their first year in existence. It's year two for the Seattle Kraken, and already financially they've become a power broker in the United States, uh, in the in the NHL. You know, from your estimation, you know, riding shotgun, hearing conversations in the organization, how has this happened? Like, what has Seattle done properly here, like, that could provide a blueprint for other teams? You know, we talked last week about a market like Salt Lake City, for example. What has Seattle done here? Because they're hitting on not just the NHL level, but the American Hockey League level as well. A hundred percent. I think the answer is, twofold first you know on the ice if you look at the nhl level i think it's a credit to the front office that they didn't panic in a down year last year that was below everyone's expectations top to bottom and they looked at what they needed they brought in the pieces that they needed and now they've improved and and rebounded for some of the down performances from last season and at the ahl level obviously this is still a thin prospect pipeline so they've augmented that roster with some quality veteran talent there and then I think off the ice you know I mean first of all the jerseys are sweet right like the Coachella jerseys are sweet the Kraken (laughs) jerseys are sweet they hit the market everyone wants one but but these organizations have been incredibly thoughtful about doing hockey the way they want to do it from a company perspective The hiring practices are diverse. The voices are different. The marketing matches the markets in which these teams live. The facilities are top-notch. So I think it's the opportunity to be not just new but different off the ice. It's also just really deepening that love and bond and connection to the product. Let me um let me drill down a little bit on on Coachella Valley here for a couple of seconds. Dan Bowlesman is the head coach there. This is you know an elite team in the American Hockey League level. Like they may win the Calder Cup here in their first year in existence, and that would be remarkable. Um, and now Shane Wright joins the ranks. And you know I was thinking yesterday, I, I threw it out there. You know what a what a fascinating development year it's been for Shane Wright. Like, I know there are a lot of general managers who are quick to point out, you know, we don't mind sending players back to back to junior, back to their home country, because quite bluntly, 
the NHL is not a developmental league. Like this is not a league. This this is not the league where you develop. You develop and then you graduate to the NHL. Will there be growing pains? Absolutely. Will you improve? Yes. But this is not a developmental league. But this has been a really interesting developmental year for Shane Wright. Uh, Beginning of the season, whether it was the healthy scratches or, you know, we all have stopwatches out when Shane Wright, you know, is is on the ice and when he's (laughs) off the ice and grab the game sheet at the end and find out how much how much uh, how much he was actually on the ice and feign outrage on Twitter about it. Uh, the scratches uh, sent down to Coachella Valley. I think it was like four goals in five games. Uh, comes up, scores his first goal in the NHL. Sent to the World Juniors, captains team Canada to gold. Um, has a really nerve wracking seventy two hours where he helps. Where he, where he, you know, he, he is part of the process deciding where he's going to go in the Ontario League, Peterborough, London, Windsor, like all, all these teams up for grabs. He ends up going to the Spitfires, and then that team flames out, gets swept. They had like four players in masks. It was a ravaged team uh, by then. The Kitchener Rangers sweep them in the opening round, and he finds himself back in Coachella Valley. This is not according to any program. Like, Ron Francis did not lay this out. Like, this is the way it's going to go for Shane Wright this season. But somehow, I can't help but thinking... This is really going to help this kid being all over the place in his, his quote-unquote first development year, getting to, to full-time status in the NHL. I can't help but thinking this is going to help the kid. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think this is going to be one of those people that five, ten years from now when we're talking to an NHL regular, these are the experiences that he's going to reference, right, that helped shape him, that helped manage expectations, yeah. helped him deal with the pressure that I think he's going to deal with as he just elevates his game and is, you know, a key part of the Kraken organization long-term. And I think to to end out this season, you know, we just talked about what makes Coachella so successful. You, you have to talk about Dan Bielsma and his coaching staff. To see him around this team, it's a perfect fit for him for where he is right now. He loves encouraging these kids. He loves teaching these kids but also guiding them and being a head coach in a league where there is room and necessity for development. The Kraken don't have space for that right now. As you said, this is a far more competitive roster than people thought it was going to be, and therefore their agenda has to change. And so I think after all of that tribulation, after all of that moving around, to now go for a coach like Bielsma to a winning organization where the players love to be there, the players love to be playing there, this is a really nice bow to the season for him. Uh, let me get to some of the Kraken players. Um, actually, you know what? Before I get there, uh, I want to park some time and talk about Dave Haxtell. Uh, at the end of last season, um, part of the conversation revolved around, because you mentioned, with, based on their, their, their expectations, was a disappointing season. I know that Vegas set an impossibly high bar for first-year NHL teams, but nonetheless... Um, part of the conversation was, did they make a mistake on the coach? Like, did they, should they, uh, well, maybe they should have stuck to their guns and, and gone with Rick Tockett. Um, was Dave Haxtall the mistake? And they, they stuck with him. And the, the organization has been rewarded handsomely. He's not going to win the Jack Adams. That's going to be Jim Montgomery. I think we're all pretty much on the same page about that. But he should get a lot of consideration here, shouldn't he? Like, when you look at what Hackstall has done with his team, and I've, I've made this point about Dallas, I've made it about Boston, and I'll make it about Seattle as well. When you look at bench management, no one's in the 20s, like forwards. None, none of the forwards are playing 20 minutes a night, and no one's playing single digits either. 
it's a really well-balanced team, and it's a team where all four lines contribute, and some of those bottom six players contribute significantly. Do you have a thought on how Dave Hextall is, has run his bench this year? Jeff, I'm going to start keeping track of how many times you reference Daniel Sprong without saying his name, but I know we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 you're on to something there too. There's, there's two key things that stand out to me about Dave Haxtell. The first is what people don't see if you're not watching this team day in and day out is they have had an uncanny ability to look at what's not working, address it, and then fix it often on a long-term basis. Overtime play is a perfect example. They lose their first three overtimes. They focus on it in their next two practices, and now they're, I believe, it's 9 of 10 since that that work in practice. They've done that with the penalty kill at the turn mm-hmm. of the year, changing their strategy and systems. And then the bench management, as you said, I think that this is a coach who is intimately familiar with the strengths and the areas for improvement in his team, And he has therefore crafted a lineup and tweaked it only when necessary to put players in the exact right position to succeed. And I think that, you know, on top of all of that, what's wrapped around this team from him is, you know, it's a cliche, but it is very true, particularly when you talk about expectations, never too high, never too low. This is a very even keel emotional group. And I think that's been huge, especially now with a season where so much is blowing up. It would have been easy to get too giddy, too over the top with enthusiasm, and maybe that creeps into your game. And this group has been steady as Mm -hmm. can be the entire time. Okay, so to your earlier question and your earlier point, um, can you help me with something? Which player leads the NHL in uh, (laughs) points per 60, (laughs) five on five, and where does Connor McDavid rank in that top 20? Spoiler, Connor McDavid's at 16. Who's at number one? Could it be Daniel Sprong, Jeff? <laughs> twenty-one goals, twenty-five points, fourth line minutes. Look at him go! Uh, I do want to. I do want to talk about uh, Vince Dunn. Um, all, all jokes aside, here, like I, I look at the blue line, and Adam Larson stands out, Jamie Alexiak stands out, um, Carson Soucy stands out. But the one player who really pops, I think, for a lot of people, who's a restricted free agent and is going to get a sizable bump, I would imagine this off season is uh, is Vince Dunn. Um, you know, I used to watch him when he played for Niagara and he would skate all over the ice. Like he was the closest thing. It was funny too, because we used to look at him and say like, okay, so PK Subban skated with the Belleville Bulls. Is this the Niagara, you know, the Niagara Ice Dogs version of PK Subban when we watch Vince Dunn because he's all over the ice, not necessarily in a bad way. He's just controlling the puck and controlling the play. And when he surrenders it, he's the first guy back and he has a skating ability to get back efficiently. Um, his game's a lot different now. It's a much more of a pro game, and it's a pro game, pro game that's at the elite level. He's not going to win the Norris Trophy, but his name is going to be down-balloted on a lot of ballots. Your thought on what we've seen from Vince Dunn this year? Yeah, we're at, I'm actually working on a story on this pairing right now, and you know, I think it, it's easy to look at the points. You know, I think that's often the cheat code for the Norris voters, and it's a shame we don't have better measures to look at to really evaluate defenders in this in this sport. But I think that you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me with Vince Dunn, besides the offensive production, is the maturity on and off the ice. He and Adam Larson have their lockers next to each other, both at home on the road. 
They're always talking. Vince Dunn listens to Adam Larson. Both have commented on a real strength of their pairing to be to hold each other accountable and say, you need to step it up here or you need to do this better. And I think that to do that without ego has opened the door for him to just unlock a lot more of his skills. And then we talk about his skating, but what I have really come to find as I've dug in a little bit more is Larson and Dunn are two of the leaders in the league this season in terms of, as you said, going back, getting those loose pucks and immediately creating a successful exit. Vince Dunn is, I last I checked, second in the league in not just attempting stretch passes, but completing stretch passes. And so, again, while people will look at the actual points mm. coming off Vince Dunn's stick, it's his ability and his defensive partner's ability to stop attack against and reverse play the other way that I think has been huge in terms of how the Kraken have succeeded this year. That's a really interesting one. Is is number one Victor Hedman? Do you know? Do you know I have to go Allison? back and look. I'd have. I'll go. I'll look. I'll okay. message you if I don't find it while we're talking. Okay. No. No problem. I'm, I'm just. Curious. I've always. There's a couple. Like Ivan Provorov is really good at that too. Um, Hedman has always been the master. Uh, I'm just curious if the if if the numbers back up when I'm what I'm seeing with the eyeballs here. But that's interesting with Vince Dunn um, in at number two. Um, do the Seattle Kraken consider, because listen, they're heading to the playoffs. Well, we'll finish up on this one. Do they consider this all at this point just gravy? Like the Stanley Cup was getting to the playoffs, you know, that level of progress, take another step. Or is this a team that's like, yeah, you know what? Just getting there is not enough. How does Seattle see the playoffs? Yeah, I think that, you know, from a, from an outside perspective, from a fan perspective, everyone's really, quote-unquote, just happy to be here. But I think that there's a different resolve (laughs) coming from the locker room, and I think it stems from veterans in there. I mean, you can see how much these players revere players like Jordan Eberle and Adam Larson who want to be competing for the ultimate prize. And there were a lot of conversations this offseason about that among this group. And what really impressed me when they clinched and, you know, in hockey, you're not necessarily a a group of players who are going to celebrate just getting in the resolve around this team that night in the midst of all that chaos really spoke to me about what their intentions are. And, you know, it may not be the year where the window is wide, wide, wide open, but this group believes Mm -hmm. that they've shown people they can do things no one else ever thought they could (laughs) and they want to continue doing that with absolute resolve uh some real bright spots uh mentioned vince dunn um i always go out of my way as allison will tell you to mention daniel sprong and 21 fourth line (laughs) goals for him um and jared jared mccann and and maddie veneers like veneers is is en route to uh winning the rookie of the year and what a season for Jared McCann. And, you know, when the, uh, when the contract is signed, many people said, ooh, that's a lot of sugar in the coffee there. But 40 goals later, no one's saying much, if anything, uh, about the contract. We got like a hot 30 seconds here. Can you do it on Jared McCann, Allison? Uh, just a, a key piece of the team, obviously. And I think what it speaks to, Micah Blake McCurdy at Hockey Biz measures finishing ability. This is not a player doing this on luck. This is a player being able to finally showcase and use his skill to the most that he's ever been able to. Absolutely. Uh, on that, we'll let you go. Allison, thanks as always for stopping by. This is fun. Enjoy the game. We didn't even talk about tonight's game. It's Seattle uh, facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights. This one should be a good one. Thanks as always, Allison. You be well. Thanks. You too, Jeff. Take care. There she is. Allison Lucan, uh, analyst for the Seattle Kraken, also part of the Too Many Men 
podcast. Uh, we're going to hit a break here, and when we come back, and listen, Seattle's a wonderful story, uh, but the story of the day is uh, what happens next with the Calgary Flames. You know, Daryl Sutter doesn't really want to talk about that because we've got one more game to win. Um, but what's next for the Calgary Flames? And also, who's playing net for the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight as they face off against the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of 10 games on the go uh, around the NHL on various Sportsnet properties. Uh, early, we have the Washington Capitals and the Boston Bruins. Watch that on Sportsnet Pacific. On Sportsnet 1, it is a Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Edmonton Oilers baseball. Jay's home opener dominating our airwaves on Sportsnet tonight, but still plenty of hockey to get your eyeballs on. Random Player of the Day returns next. Aaron Ambrose as well. Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network. Samulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Aaron Ambrose, uh, Team Canada Defender, Women's Worlds, very much underway. Another thrilling edition of the... uh, the rivalry between Canada and the United States. Yesterday, Jamie Lee Rattray uh, plays hero in this one. Gorgeous move to end it. Um, talk to Aaron here in a couple of moments. And we'll get on the New Jersey Devils page. Now, tonight there's 10 games on the go around the NHL and some very intriguing ones. Um, and the Devils-Sabres game is intriguing because, one, first place in the Metropolitan Division is still very much up for grabs. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres are still fighting and clinging after a, you know, shading the Rangers 3-2 yesterday. Um, they're very much hanging on to a, a... They don't have a playoff spot, but they're clawing their way into trying to get in here. So this is live to fight another daytime for the Buffalo Sabres. And Luke Hughes makes his debut on the blue line for the New Jersey Devils. So we have uh, Hughes and Hughes uh, in action tonight. Uh, all that's still to come here on the program. In the meantime, Matt Marchese returns. Uh, he was off for a couple of days. He is back like a vertebrae with the random player of the day. Matty, how are you? I'm good, Jeffrey. And for today's random player of the day, we go back to uh, one of uh, two brothers that played in the NHL. Very, very big human beings. This one submitted by Jimmy Lundgren from Sweden, <laughs> who emails us a lot. And hey. it is Kevin Hatcher. Nice. You know that there was a. It's funny because I always had the conversation about the Hatcher boys, and most people, when they hear the name Hatcher, they think of Darian Hatcher. Now, Darian Hatcher certainly was the most successful of uh, of all the Hatcher boys, um, but there was an older, older brother, right? So Kevin Hatcher was uh, the middle brother. There was an older brother, Mark Hatcher. Do you remember that name? He was a Chicago Blackhawks draft pick. Mark was. To be blunt, Maddie, massive, six foot seven. Oh my! Two hundred and forty-five pounds. I want to say. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he's a, a, a Michigan guy, um, and he played his junior in the OHL. 
uh, played for Niagara Falls. He was on that team that moved to North Bay to become the Centennials. He has an interesting, this is a sidebar. Mark was an interesting guy. He was drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks, retired from hockey, I want to say in like 85, and then worked as a carpenter for three years. The Washington Capitals, I'm guessing through his brother, talked him into coming back. And I don't know if he signed a contract or just went to camp, but came back briefly to go to camp with the uh, with the Washington Capitals and his brothers in 88. So spent three years as a carpenter and still tried to give it a go once again afterwards in 1988 with the Washington Capitals. Nonetheless, Kevin Hatcher, right shot, uh, born in Detroit, uh, played CompuWare uh, and played on a team with Ally Afraidy, who we later went on to play with with the Washington Capitals, and Sean Chambers. So you can imagine how good a team that was. Uh, played with the North Bay Centennials, a big, strong, skilled, very tough team. Um, drafted in the first round uh, by the Washington Capitals in 84. That was a Mario Lemieux draft, my 17th overall. Uh, paired with Rod Langway as he uh, as he joined the uh, the league, no surprise there. Put the kid uh, with the veteran and the future Hall of Famer. Kevin Hatcher was real tough, not just because he was big and fearless, but he trained as a boxer at Cronk Gym, um, and that's where Tommy the Hitman Hearns, one of my favorite welterweights of all time, oh Hagler and Hearns, three three rounds of goodness and gold and boxing. If you ever want to know what boxing should be. Just go to the YouTube machine and type in Hearns and Hagler, Las Vegas. Three rounds of mwah, brilliance. Anyway, and I think Hearns was training at the same time that Kevin Hatcher was there as well as a as an aside. I mentioned Ally Afraidy a couple of seconds ago playing CompuWare with Kevin Hatcher. Um, on the blue line for the Washington Capitals, Kevin Hatcher, um, Sylvain Cote, and Ally Afraidy um, as a three-pair were the first three defensemen on a team to score each 30 goals in a season. Uh, 3D with 30 goals. That is uh, remarkable. Uh, a couple of different contract disputes with the uh, with the Washington Capitals. Uh, eventually saw him get traded after the 94-95 lockout to the Dallas Stars uh, in exchange for Rick Morozik. And the only thing I can tell you about Rick Morozik is I once saw him have a fight with Matt Stajan in a uh, in Edmonton Roadrunners St. John's Maple Leafs uh, game, and Mark Tenorti, who was a really tough defenseman and the father of Jared Tenorti, now patrolling the blue line for the um, uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks. He was also uh, traded in exchange for Sergey Zuboff. That is how Zuboff got to Dallas. Anyhow. There is Kevin Hatcher, according to me. Big, strong, tough. I'll always think of him as a Washington Capitol defenseman. What do you got? All right, so his first NHL goal was scored uh, in his second game and was scored shorthanded, Jeff. So so forget the fact that it was scored shorthanded, no but it was a defenseman scoring shorthanded his first NHL goal. Yeah, and, and we talked about... Um, yeah, and that was against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who we ended up getting traded to later in his career, which we know. Uh, he also, this is the interesting one for me. Mike Green had an incredible season for the Washington Capitals. He scored 31 goals, and yet the record holder for single-season yeah. goals by a Capitals defenseman is still Kevin Hatcher, despite that, when he had 34. Um, it's, and still he was, Kevin uh, ha- it's still Kevin yeah. Hatcher? Yeah, 34. And um, hmm. a five-time All right. All-Star and was inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame in 2010. So that's what I got on Kevin Hatcher. 
All right, that's nice. I would have loved to have seen Mark play, by the way. Six foot seven, 245 pounds. A giant of a man. And uh, listen, if he's playing on North Bay, he's playing with Bert Templeton, uh, who wasn't exactly shy and loved his robust hockey players. Uh, okay, um, shifting gears. Another great game because, let's face it, they're all great games between Canada and the United States yesterday. Uh, Jamie Lee Rattray with the heroics. Um, as we've seen before, sometimes Canada just can't do things the easy way and need to, you know, raise our blood pressure along the way before they win. Uh, Aaron Ambrose, Team Canada defender at the Women's Worlds in Brampton, joins me now. Aaron, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, Jeff. How are you on this beautiful day? Uh, I'm doing very well. And I figured something out about myself yesterday watching your game. And you know what that was? That your heart rate's a little too high? Well, it's kind of like that. I realized that the reason why I love watching Canada and the United States when you two teams go at it, the reason I love it so much is I'm convinced that I'm doing an experiment with myself just to see how high this middle-aged man can get his blood pressure safely. I'm convinced that that's why that's why I watch these games because you know watching that tying goal with a with a handful of seconds left it's like oh and the scramble in front and oh here we go we're going off to extra chuckers can you guys not do anything easily no we we often just like to make it fun for everybody to watch I think uh, I would be lying if I said that it wasn't a little bit disappointing for them to get that tying goal but I think there was no doubt in any of our minds that we were going to end up winning that game however However, we were going to make it get yeah. done. Um, we did make it happen, though. Uh, listen, these these games have been out, outstanding. And again, we're always focused on Canada and, and the United States. But there's a lot of other great stories going on in the women's worlds right now in Brampton. Um, I want to focus on you because, you know, you've done you've been a part of uh, this team for a long time. Uh, enjoyed success at the highest level uh, with the Olympic team, um, the World Championships as well. Um I am curious through through all of this now, um, and you'll think back to you know uh, a very very you know young Aaron Ambrose, you know growing up playing you know York Simcoe Express and Georgina and, and everything. You've done this a number of times now. You've been part of big tournaments and, and big huge events. How have you grown as a hockey player? Like what's different about you since you first sort of you know started to really join elite programs? Oh, we're hitting me with the hard-hitting questions. Um, I think one of the big yeah. things is just the confidence that I have that I'm meant to be there. Um, and I think that that comes directly from our group and what we've managed to accomplish and create as a group. Um, I mean, there's situations that you go, get put into, and last night's a prime example. Um, just going out there in overtime on the power play, we didn't get it done, but it felt like, okay, this is an opportunity right now. And instead of being scared for the moment, I was embracing and excited for that moment. Um, I think just now looking at it, apparently I'm considered what's called a veteran, which confuses me as can be, but um, (laughs) it's just exciting to get out there and be able to make an impact however I can, whether it be on the power play, penalty kill, um, any opportunity that I do get, I'm excited for. And um, just it's pretty awesome to be doing this on home ice right now. 
You know, the uh, the veteran comment's really interesting, Aaron, because um, when I was in Dallas a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with Max Domi, and somewhere along the way, and I first started watching Max Domi when he played in the GTHL with Don Mills, somewhere along the way, he went from being a kid and rookie and young player and all that to a veteran. Like, it seems like it happens suddenly. And, yep. you know, he's all of a sudden, he's 28 years old now. And I was, we were talking about this, and he's like, yeah, I thought about this a while ago. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, I always think about myself as a kid, and here I am, 28 years old, played a number of different teams around the NHL, and I'm considered a veteran. Um, at what point did you kind of feel that you were more veteran um, than, you know, younger, you know, closer? Like you, were, you were closer to being a vet than you were to being a rookie. Oh, I think I'm just starting to kind of get into that mentality. Um, to think that it's my fifth world championship now is a lot. Um, but then at, on the flip side of that, it's like I just competed in my first Olympics. And I think that once I got that Olympics under my belt um, at the world championships last year in Denmark, and I think just also the group that we have on D, if you look at it, you have Renata and Joss that have been there for a while and their mainstays on our back end. But then our, the rest of our group is quite young. Um, and that's when it's like, okay, I guess I kind of am a veteran um, in comparison to everybody else. And that's something that you have to embrace and you have to help. But I think that our group on the back end specifically is just so encouraging in all aspects that it doesn't matter if you're a first timer, if you're playing in your ninth world championship, it, it, it's all something that we all kind of thrive on and, and hope for the best for each other. And that's what's so exciting. Now, I want to ask you about Jamie Lee Rattray uh, alongside Aaron Ambrose here on the program. I want to ask you about Jamie Lee Rattray and one of my one of my favorite texts. I don't know. Whenever I think about it, it still makes me laugh. And this is when you know uh, Rattray was just you know starting uh, with with your crew, and I think I sent you a text something along the lines of "What should I know about Jamie Lee Rattray?" And all you sent back was "Rat scores goals." And yep. I thought about that last night when Rattray was the was the was the star of the show, um, and you've watched her and played with her for a number of years now. What do you think? Because we think about you know we know a lot about you know Marie Philippe Palant, for example. What should everybody know about Jamie Lee Rattray? I think that there's not enough to say about Ratty. Um, I've started calling her Game Seven because that's her mentality and every drill and practice and everything that she does. And as soon as she got picked to go on the shootout, I turned to Mash and said, game seven's got it. And that's just Ratty. Like some people mm. just have that it factor. And um, we talk a lot about Ratty and her role on the team. And yeah, she's designated as the 13th forward, but at the same time, she's somebody who brings something so consistently. And um, she always manages to make an impact, whether she's got six minutes of ice time or 17 minutes. And um uh, Rat just shows up to the occasion every single time, and that's something that you can't teach, you can't coach, and um, something that's very, very special about her as a hockey player. Um, describe the feeling of feeding one-timers to Marie-Philippe Poulain. <sighs> you, can't, you can't miss the wheelhouse, that's for sure. Um, I thought I put it a little too far behind her, and she absolutely ripped it. I was saying in the dressing room, <laughs> I thought I missed the wheelhouse, and it's not a wheelhouse. It's a wheel mansion. She's got a wheel guest house and a wheel garage as well. So she's got all the, the property, and I just put it in her area, and she's not going to do anything wrong with it. I should probably do it a little bit more, to be honest. You, you know what you know what the saying is, right, Ambrose? You can't give a great player get, a bad pass. I know, like and just, that's I, what like I'm I, learning. I, I look at... 
<laughs> no, but I mean, what I'm saying is like, it's impossible. Like she'll take anything. Like I, yeah. I look at her and I like my favorite, my favorite player that I ever saw who had this uncanny ability to take like the most garbage pass and not break stride, keep the puck, keep keep going up the ice was Marion Hosa. You could throw it in his skates. You could throw it behind him. You could bounce it. It didn't matter. Like his stick might as well, his hockey stick might as well have been a lacrosse stick. The way yeah. that he was able to scoop up horrible passes. And I look at Marie Philippe Poulin, I'm like, that's the closest thing that I've seen to, to Marion Hosa. You can throw whatever you want at her, and it doesn't yeah. matter. Like the idea of a bad pass doesn't exist to players like Marie Philippe Poulin. You know what I'm getting at? Oh, 100%. And I think that that's something that makes her so lethal on the power play, obviously. But even five on five, there's not a lot of people that can take that one timer going full speed with their toes pointing towards the ice off a rush, but who can do it? um, You're exactly right that you can't give a good player a bad pass. You know, um, when we break down the skill set of a hockey player, a number of different things come to mind, and I'm always interested in what people who play with the stars, like what impresses them, like the hockey player's hockey player. You've skated with Marie-Philippe Poulin. You've competed against her. Um, you've known her for a number of years. What is the skill that she has that you, your teammates, other players look at and say, I have no idea how she does that? Like, is there is there one particular skill that the hockey players look at and go, that's amazing, that someone like me who just watches the game would look at and go, yeah, it looks nice, but I don't really get it. Um, I think for me, it's her, like her back pressure and her ability to pick pockets. I think you might think that a play is dead um, and her first three strides are second to none. And then after that, her ability to get uh, the puck off of somebody from behind when she pickpockets somebody, she turns it into a threat right away. Um, And that's something that I think has come on in the last few years. Um, We've always talked about her being a 200 foot player, which a lot of people don't always realize. And, I think that that's an added bonus and an added thing that is just so underrated in what she does for this group. Uh, right now, as we speak, it is a uh, two to one Germany uh, over Hungary. France and Sweden gets underway in an hour and a half's time, and later on tonight, Czechia and Switzerland. Uh, of all the other teams, like we've talked so much about Canada and the United States, and I am going to get back and get you to drill down on a couple more players. But who are the other teams that hold the most curiosity for you? Aaron Ambrose, veteran of Team Canada. Um, for me, in Group B, I think that the Germany and Sweden is something that's been uh, a little bit... I was surprised by the win, a 6-2 win for Germany. I thought that Sweden has a lot of skills. Sweden's a physical team. They played us really well in the quarters last year in Denmark. And then um, seeing Germany play them and beat them 6-2 was a little bit surprising. But then they had a good game against Finland. So I think Sweden's going to be strong. Germany will be strong coming through. And then after that, um, we've got Finland who's going to come out of Group B. And I think that those teams are going to make a big difference in kind of fighting in those quarterfinals games. And then obviously we'll see kind of who we match up against. There's a lot that still has to happen before that. But um, like you said, today is going to be a, a good day of watching games and seeing kind of where things end up. What's the off day like for you? Uh, we actually just fa- finished a family and friends brunch, which was pretty awesome. Lots of kids around, uh, lots of sisters, nice. brothers, parents. It's been pretty cool to be able to spend some time with loved ones um, and just take the day off and reset going into the playoff matchups. I love it. Um, I want to finish up by asking you about two Sarahs, um, yep. Nurse and Fillier. 
Uh, Nurse is, you know, one of these, I don't want to say players, one of these people that is a hockey player plus, 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 plus. Like these people that, you know, that that exist certainly on the ice and and on the team, but also have a larger-than-life presence around the game. And we've talked about Sarah Fillier being, you know, the next one as Marie-Philippe Poulin eventually, maybe after the next Olympic cycle, you know, transitions to the next phase of her career, whatever that's going to be. It's going to be up to the the Sarah Filiers uh, to carry yeah. it for Team Canada. Um, what should people know? What can you tell us right now about uh, one of your best friends, Sarah Nurse, and the up and comer Sarah Filier? Um, how long do we have? Um, I think with Nurse, huh. you you said exactly that. Um, obviously, so much as a hockey player, but there's so much more to her. Um, I can't say enough about what she's done to elevate her game, um, what she did in the PWHPA this year with Team Adidas, and Mercy, um, I think, is continuing to push her her limit in in the game, and I think that that's something so exciting. But she's not just a hockey player; her skill speaks for itself. But then, what she's doing away from the game is obviously impacting a lot of people um, within the black community, within the yeah. game of hockey. And I think that that's something that's pretty impressive. Um, then, when it comes to Phil, uh, the sky's the limit. I think with Philia, you've got somebody who's such a threat. Her shot. Um, her deception, her speed, um, and she's just like this is already her third world championship, which is insane. And I think that it's going to continue to grow yeah. because her game <laughs> is going to continue to grow. She's still got college years left in her, um, and she's got as bright of a future as she wants to have. She's excellent, um, as are you. Um, this might sound like a weird question. I want to end on this. Are you able to really enjoy these high-pressure tournaments now? Absolutely. Um, I think that after kind of going to different ones throughout the years, I'm starting to embrace them a lot more in what I'm doing. And I think that it's something that I continue to learn more and more, but I also just get to enjoy them more and more because I know that I've been here, I've done this, I know what to do, and that's exactly what we as a group need to do. And um, it allows me to kind of settle in and just enjoy every second of it with the group of girls around me and um, just be able to take it all in, especially playing on home ice in Brampton close to home. Um, to have loved ones in the stands is really, really special. Awesome. Uh, listen, uh, wish you all the best. Get back to your, uh, your family and friends brunch. Um, and uh, best of luck Thursday in the quarters. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great day. There she is, Erin Ambrose, uh, Team Canada defender. Uh, Canada awaits to see who they face off in the quarters after the, uh, the thrilling star show uh, by Jamie Lee Rattray last night, uh, Canada over the United States. Um, Ryan Novozinski is going to be dropping by at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, Maddie, I believe we're going to be going to this Nola Chari interview, if I'm not mistaken. Doing production here on the go. We're going to this one? Okay, so last week, and this was part of the podcast that just came out yesterday, the 32 Thoughts pod. Last week, um, Elliot Friedman had a chance to sit down with Toronto Maple Leafs forward Noel Achare um, at the team's practice facility at the Ford Performance Center. We're going to play part of that with you. Uh, The entire interview available uh, on the 32 Thoughts podcast. Here's a couple of snippets uh, from that. Here's Noel Achare in conversation with Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts pod. Enjoy. Okay. I heard one story about you, and I hope it's true. So play along, even if it may not be true. <laughs> I was asking everybody, what's the quintessential Achari story? And I had a couple different people tell me, if you want to know who he is, 
there was one time, and I don't know where it was, you showed up to either a practice or a game carrying your equipment, and you were bleeding. And apparently you had been in a car accident, but you didn't want to be late for practice or the game. You're nodding at me. This story is true. Yeah. yeah. What is this story? It was, uh, I think it was a Saturday, and uh, we're driving to uh, Bridgeport in Massachusetts um, for a game. So this is AHL? No, no, no. This is, I had to have been maybe 10, 11. Oh, wow. And um, if you're driving to the Bridgeport rink, you're on the main street, and uh, you're taking a left on into the, the arena, and um, there's a jail across the way, like on the other on the right side of the street, and you're taking a left, and apparently an inmate had gotten out, so there was searches and everyone's kind of driving and kind of looking over and we're we're stopped waiting to take that left in the minivan and it's me and my brother in the back my parents are driving and one car was just focused on the sheriffs and everyone looking for whoever and we get rear-ended pretty good kind of caved in the back of the whole van and me and my brother sitting in the back we had the tv down the middle middle seat and uh I hit my head on the TV, cut my head a little bit, like bleeding. And like for me, like for any kid, games are, you don't want to miss a game. Yeah. Especially if you're driving an hour plus to go to a game you want to play. So obviously we wait for the police, EMT show up and and I'm like, I got to get to the game. I got to get to the game. And it, like you can't open up the back of the, the van because the back door's caved in. So I just reach in, kind of grab my bag from the back seat and pull it out and I'm just starting and I told my parents like hey the rink's right there like I'm going and my parents like they can't leave they're like trying to figure everything out and and I just start I grab my stuff keep walking and one of the parents saw me walking and I'm like they're like get it what, what happened <laughs> they see our van because they picked me up brought me in and they're like what's going on and I'm like nothing I just gotta go we gotta go I ended up playing the game scored a couple goals and I don't, I don't even remember how we got home, to be honest with you, if we drove that car or what happened. Well, first of all, I didn't realize it would happen when you were 10 years old. I always feel terrible joking about it now. But that's what people told me about you. If you want to know about Nolachari, a car accident is not going to keep him from hockey. No. No, yeah. What did your teammates say to you when you walked I in? they were more just in shock. Like, one that I'm, they're like, what happened to your head? Because just bleeding and, mm-hmm. but kids will be kids, you just. All right, we got a game now. We got to go play. <laughs> I want to talk about you about growing up a little bit. You mentioned your parents in the first answer, and you've talked about your mother, Edna, and how she was hugely influential in your career. And uh, you, you've said before that she uh, used to have hand signals in the crowd if you weren't yeah. playing well. Like, what were these hand signals? Uh, this one was like, what are you doing out there? Like, that was probably the worst one. Or it's one of those where she looks away, like you make eye contact, and then if you get the thumbs up, you're doing well, and then this is get up, like start doing something. And so those were her main, I think, signals, and and also the facial expressions kind of gave away how she was feeling. So she was the parent who really drove you through your hockey career. Yes. My dad was more very supportive. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't have a bad game. He was just happy. Mm -hmm. I I was out there having fun. And and then my mom was like, what are you doing? You played awful out there today. (laughs) 
So it was a good balance. <laughs> and and you said that when she didn't talk to you, that was the worst. That was, yeah, because it was like you just thought about it and you're just, you try and talk. She's like, she's just like, no. <laughs> Looking back, it's like, oh, she drove all that way there and back. And it's like, but uh, she was a great support, too. She was my biggest supporter and can't thank her enough. Now, you uh, go to Providence College. You never get drafted. But when did you start to think that the NHL possibly could be on the radar for you? You know, I that was a dream of mine growing up, always to play in the NHL. And after, you know, I had a hiccup my freshman year. I had a sit-out red shirt. And, um, and then after that sophomore year, it was actually really good that I didn't have to lose a year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had my four years. And and I took that year basically off from hockey. But I think after my first actual playing year, I think that next year I was like a lot of talk about people interested. And I just like just wanted to continue my game. And, you know, I think Coach Lehman and Providence does a great job of getting guys ready for the NHL. And the way he coaches and, you know, just how defense first. And I think that's helped me specifically, you know, being my role of maybe starting in the D zone for a lot of draws or just being relied on to keep pucks out of the net and be be good in the D zone and, you know, blocking shots. And, you know, he was big on every finish, every check. So I I think he kind of helped me mold Mm -hmm. me into the player I am right now. And But, uh, yeah, I think after that first year, I kind of thought I could do that. Now, do you remember the first team that ever came to talk to you or anything like that? Uh, I did go to Calgary's development camp mm-hmm. after my first year playing, and then I think that kind of was like, wow, okay, I I can play. I can do this. And I think that gave me a little more confidence going into next year. And I would say, if anything, Calgary was the first to kind of give me a shot to when I went to their camp. Now, people talk about you from Providence was the victory over Eichel and his team that year. What do you remember about that game? Yeah, it was a wild game. Um you know, everyone remembers the big, we flipped the puck in and goalie dropped it. But, uh, you know, going into it, Lehman had pre-scouted and said that uh, he'd let a lot of funky goals in like that from off angles or just kind of, you know, just flips at him. He just, I don't know, whatever it might be. But uh, it was a great game start to finish. And for us, I mean, Jack, being the player that he is, and he's unbelievable. He he had won, I think, every award that year, mm-hmm. every championship he possibly could, except the national championship. And um, I think for us, that was you know, I mean, not to take away from the whole BU team, they were they were great mm-hmm. as well. A lot of good guys came out of that school like the, that year, and mm-hmm. who they had on that team. And but uh, we just kind of we found a way, and uh, it was a big win for us and our school, and it was a great great day. That's Noel Achari on 32 Thoughts, the podcast, in conversation with Elliot Friedman. Uh, the full interview is available on our very latest uh, on your favorite podcast platform. Um, all right, on that, we'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get on the New Jersey Devils page. Big game for the New Jersey Devils tonight. They'll face off for the Buffalo against Buffalo Sabres. Uh, the Sabres still clinging on to this faint hope of playoffs, so it was a big one. For them, they're playing in a back-to-back, beating the New York Rangers, shading them last night. Um, and for the Devils, uh, we'll see the debut of Luke Hughes, uh, first-round uh, first draft pick of them last season. 
Um, he'll make his uh, NHL debut, former standout now with the Michigan Wolverines. Ryan Novozinski from NJ.com drops by to comment on the Devils and the debut of the third Hughes brother in the NHL. That's next as America Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard today. Something I just uh, put out there on the break on Twitter. It sounds like... And again, we'll see. We still have some hours for this story to change a number of times. Uh, but it sounds like Matt Anuska may end up being the uh, the mystery netminder tonight for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, last seen patrolling the crease for the Windsor Spitfires, who were ousted, swept um, by the Kitchener Rangers. Um, but if I'm throwing a dart, maybe it's landing on Matthias Anuska, or as he's called colloquially, uh, Mat- uh, Matt. Um, he's from Waterloo. He's a 20-year-old. Uh, netminder with the Windsor Spitfires. So that mystery continues <laughs> to see who the goaltender is. But a uh, uh, couple of whispers going around that it might be uh, it might be him. Uh, in the meantime, that is one of 10 games on the go around the NHL. The Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Also, uh, as we're being joined by Ryan Novozinski from NJ.com, the New Jersey Devils face off against the Buffalo Sabres. You know, a couple of notes here. First, uh, place is very much up for grabs in the Metropolitan Division, whether it's Carolina, whether it's the uh, the New Jersey Devils. Also, the Buffalo Sabres um, still clinging to some faint playoff hopes as well. And Luke Hughes is poised to make his debut on the blue line uh, for the New Jersey Devils. Ryan joins me now. Ryan, how are you, pal? I'm good, Jeff. Can you can you feel that that palpable New Jersey energy uh, all the way up there in Canada right now? <laughs> Listen, I've been on the New Jersey. Well, you know me. I mean, I'm a, the, the Nico Heischer fan train from from day one here, trying to will him into the Selkie Trophy. So, I mean, all New Jersey Devil game days are, are big ones around the Merrick uh, household. But but give this some context. Give this some context here because you know there's a, a number of things at play here. There's you know the New, Jer- New Jersey Devils and top spot in the Metropolitan. In division, um, there's the you know the Buffalo Sabers. You know every they're living and dying every shift. Uh, their playoff lives very much hanging in the balance. And then there's uh, the Luke Hughes uh, situation as well. Which one heading into this one today, Ryan? Is is your biggest story? I, I would say the biggest story is Luke Hughes. And and immediately speaking, I wouldn't say that it's that big uh, of an impact for this season's Devils, but. Certainly for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a huge part of the future. Um, You know, obviously picking him up with the fourth pick in in 2021, um, they drafted him to be a a member of this uh, really packed uh, uh, defenseman core. And and I would say he's at the top of that. Him and and Simone Nemitz are are definitely at the top of the uh, list there. And now, you know, you get to see Luke uh, make his debut tonight. Um, And, you know, Lindy has has mentioned, uh, Lindy Ruff, he, he said that, you know, immediately it's going to be sort of a depth type of situation to kind of ease him into the NHL game. But, I mean, how can you not get excited about him? He's, he's so versatile his game, uh, can play the left side, can play the right side, um, and, and has that left-handed shot um, that I think immediately, like I wouldn't even be surprised if we see him on, on power play too. Now, it was an optional skate today, so we didn't get to a great mm. look at it. Um, 
But I will say, like, like Lindy does like his surprises, and I think, you know, you could. he also likes changing up the uh, scheme a little bit, changing up the lines a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him there tonight, um, and, I, and I would like to see what he adds there because I think that could be something of note with, with his uh, skating abilities, with his shot. I think it just, it's one of those things that immediately, if he, if he can bring that, if he can replicate even 50% of that college-level production that he had um, at the NHL level, it will be an adjustment, but I think it, it would be it would bode well for the Devils uh, going forward. Um, and they're already pretty uh, solid defensive core there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And you know, the one thing that we've seen so far, you know, with the and again, this is the the third brother who's you know, and congratulations uh, to to the parents as well. I mean, getting three into the NHL, um, you know, shades of shades of the Stahl family here. But you know, we we look at Jack Hughes and we look at Quinn Hughes, exceptionally skilled, elite, advanced level skaters. Um, I remember when, and you recall as well, when, when Jack was taken first overall in the Vancouver draft, the, the hue and cry was, oh, you can't play center. Uh, you need size. You need to be six foot two, six foot three. And, you know, Quinn Hughes heard it as well when he was drafted in the in, high in the first round by the Vancouver Canucks and, and passed over by, you know, a team like the, like the Detroit Red Wings. Um, Luke Hughes is not going to have the same type of criticism or editorial around him. Six foot two, 185 pounds. So he sort of breaks that mold for the uh, for the Hughes family, but still, like high level skating is the call of the day with the Hugheses. You know, Ryan, I always remind people, you know, temper your expectations about you know rookies making their debut, players in their first game. I know you know stand out at Michigan, stand out you know all the way up in, in minor slash youth hockey, um, but the NHL is a totally different beast. But having said that, what is the expectation? For Luke Hughes, like not the the, the full time. The full time expectation is him and Nemich and Hamilton are you know leading this blue line. That that's you know in the bank long term deposit. But short term here, tonight's game. What do you expect, and what do the Devils expect to see out of Luke Hughes? Yeah, again, I think it really is uh, more so of a depth thing. Uh, we didn't really necessarily see what um, you know where he's going to be placed uh, in that blue line right now. Um, I know that that Kevin Ball is a young defenseman that's been doing really well for the Devils, um, but you know he and he's 24 years old. So and they're, and Lindy's not afraid to place him on the uh, top pair uh, with with Dougie Hamilton. So I wouldn't be surprised if you if you saw him even on that second pair, um, maybe that third uh, along mm. with, uh, with 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 in there. But um, it, it really it, the versatility with Hughes is is what makes him, um, you know, I've heard him described as, as a unicorn, as, as an alien, like players like that, uh, people have called him that. Um, and, and, you know, that's, of course, uh, <laughs> high praise. But in the short term, I would say that, that versatility, you could, the fact that you can place him anywhere, that just makes him a, a, a darling for Lindy Ruff uh, almost because Lindy is, is not opposed to, like I said, switch up the lines quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have a guy that can really – go uh, in, and, in and out of the lineup and, and uh, jump up to the top pair or go to the middle pair, then to the third pair, um, it, it really will bode well for this Devils team, especially, you know, there's been some players recently, uh, Jonas Siegenthaler got a healthy scratch the other day. There's been uh, some defensemen, uh, yep. I, I would even say Brian Graves and John Marino. Um, it, it, they started off the season really well, and they, they still um, have some lockdown moments, but it hasn't been great for them uh, as of late. Now, uh, you know, where he fits in is it's going to be uh, something that definitely catches my eye. Um, I would say for tonight, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Brendan Smith gets the scratch in, in favor of uh, Luke Hughes. But again, that's, that's just speculation on my part because mm. 
Um, we didn't get to see it necessarily in, um, in, in practice today, but I don't know. It's, it's exciting, Jeff. I mean, in the playoffs, um, we'll see how, how this game goes. And I mean, heck, it would, it would not, I would not put it past Luke Hughes to, uh, to score a goal tonight. Um, and you know, maybe an assist from his brother too, uh, to, to break Patrick Elias's record for most uh, points in, in a Devils single season history. Uh, that would be uh, wonderful. I, you know, one of the things that I've talked about all season long, and you know, you've talked about this too. You know, the idea that you know the New Jersey Devils have never had a player to, to score a hundred points, never no player has ever hit the century mark, and this is you know the season where we have multiple uh, players there, and and Jack Hughes is just right there, and and more than anything else, whether he gets the the century mark or not, whether he you know breaks Patrick Eliash's record or not, like this has been the season of the real legitimate, serious coming out party for Jack Hughes. This is the, you know, plant the flag, I've arrived, period, end all discussion about the New Jersey. Oh, maybe not because they're in the playoffs now. We'll see what happens in the postseason. But how much does this season go into ending the conversation around you need to be six foot three to play center in this league, young man? It's funny. I was talking to Luke about this just a couple months ago. Um, about his brother's growth and, and how he kind of uh, rose from that, that, that bad rookie season that he had. And, and Jack will admit that um, his brother sat there and said, look, like Jack knew coming in that it was a grown man's league and never once was, was kind of, uh, you know, jawing him about that and, and ribbing him about that. Um, but he kind of mm-hmm. proved, I think the Hughes brothers are a perfect, uh, the, the epitome of, of modern hockey, right? That kind of, skillful uh, uh, speed skating kind of hockey um, that, where Jack kind of got around that, that notion because, you know, he can skate around these guys that are, that are kind of those grinders. Uh, so, you know, and, and the fact that Jack mm. Hughes added, added a scoring element to his game um, as opposed to just being predominantly that, that playmaker, which by the way, he still is um, that just brought him to another level this year. Um, so that's why, you know, a, a great puck possession guy like, like Eric Holla, who he's been paired with a lot this season, isn't paired with him right now, but it's been paired with him a lot this season. Um, it works so well for him because he can get Jack the puck and he can, uh, you know, just, he, Jack's finding ways to score in dangerous areas. And the best part of his game is passing to, to dangerous areas. So both of those elements are still there. And I think that's why you're kind of seeing the, the rise of the Devils uh, intertwined with the, um, with the rise of Jack Hughes. You know, I, I think if you ask Lindy Ruff, he'll defer to the players and the players and the players. But this has been, you know, an up and down season for Lindy Ruff. And we can all remember the chance at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, the 13 game winning streak and the sorry Lindy chance and all that. And everybody had a lot of fun with it. And along the way here, like, I don't know if the Devils are going to win the Metropolitan Division here. But nonetheless, they're they're going to the postseason. And for the last couple of seasons, last year specifically, we looked at New Jersey and said, this is a really good team that's getting all their hard Hard work undone by bad goaltending. Well, that's not happening, and they're getting the save. And I, I do wonder how much, how much do you think Lindy Ruff? First of all, how much is he getting credit here, and how much does he deserve credit here? I, I think Lindy deserves more credit than than he's getting right now, um, because you know, not for nothing, the all the players you ask him, uh, guys like Jack, guys like Nico. Um, they love him. They love the system that, that, that he's uh, running there, and they like that his, he's experienced. I've, I've noticed that these young devils, they gravitate towards experience. They gravitate towards 
um, how do you say, veteran leadership. Uh, That's why they love Andre Talat. Like, Andre Talat, when he was first signed, it was almost like he he was a celebrity that walked into the locker room for them because he has two Stanley Cups and (laughs) no other devil has a Stanley Cup. Um, So so you look at guys like that, and I think that's sort of why. You look at Lindy's resume. Obviously, he doesn't have the cup, but he has the – you know, the sixth uh, most games coached for a, for a coach in NHL history, I believe. He's a guy that has, you know, he's been to the the, the um, Stanley Cup Finals. He's he hasn't gotten it yet, and I think that that's kind of one one of the things that's driving him. I know how much Lindy responds well to young players, and it was a tough situation. I've talked with him about this. It was a tough situation at first coming in here and mm-hmm. being hired by a Devils team where he knew it was going to be a rebuild, whereas. He goes into Dallas, he goes into Buffalo, and they have pretty much immediate success, right? For him, it, this was rebuilt, um, and that's something that was kind of foreign to him. So for him to do this uh, and step into a situation like this and, and really get the most out of some of these young players, which he's, he's very good at player development, um, I think he deserves a lot of credit there. Um, I think maybe he needs to start getting more consistent with his lines. I've talked to your ear about it all right now, Jeff, about how much he likes to change those. I'd like to see a little bit more consistency with that. Um, but, yeah. I mean, he's just doing it matchup-wise, and, and he's kind of figuring things out, um, you know, and relearning how the, how the playoff game works. And, and as it stands right now, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's, could, there could be other coaches that could step in and, and do what uh, Lindy has done. But I, I think he deserves a lot of credit because the Devils – they win tonight. That's that's the uh, most wins, um, and it ties the most wins in a single season in franchise history. Um, so it's history watch, not just for Jack tonight. <laughs> you know, it's interesting with the idea of you know Lindy, you know, changing around the lines a lot. You know, I'm. I'm one of these people that is firmly of the belief that part of what the regular season is is preparation for the postseason. That's, you know, obvious statement 2000 out of me just over the past hour and a half. Um, but I think one of the things that, you know, given that injuries are a reality for every team in the postseason, you know, if you have, you know, locked in lines all season long and you only know how to play, you know, with the two other guys that you're playing with and then all of a sudden, boom, an injury happens and, uh-oh, you know, I've uh, I've never played with, with Brad or... Or, you know, uh, how do we figure out how to play with Boakfast here? And, you know, oh, geez, I've never played with Tomas Tatar. Because sometimes, you know, injuries will dictate who plays with who in the postseason. Like, I kind of get the idea that you want to play mix and match as, as much as you can, still putting up wins, but play mix and match as a way to prepare for the playoffs, knowing that the line you start with might not be the line you end up with. Does that resonate with you at all? Oh, it does for sure, and and I think that's why you see Lindy tinkering the uh, with the with the middle six, especially right. Like he'll right now, it's it's Boquist and and uh, Timo Meyer and uh, Andre Pallad on that third line. So look, like I I definitely get the idea there, and and to his credit, he's kept that that top line uh, very consistent over the past couple of months, and that fourth line of of McLeod and, and Bastion and, and Miles Wood. Um, although McLeod is, is dealing with, with an injury right now because of the Marchand uh, hit the other day. Um, now, yeah, like, I, but that top line has, you know, add anybody. I'm doing a story on this, actually. Add anybody with Nico Heischer this year, and their scoring production goes up. And it's kind of funny, like, like uh, that, that how it worked with uh, Tomas Tatar and, and Dawson Mercer and, and uh, Nico Heischer. That, that ended up being like that, that prototypical top line that's scoring you a lot of goals and of course nico can uh, can get to the d zone and, and uh do his thing there and and in the o zone of course too so 
there's a lot of ice time to be had there. Maybe that's why some of the players that are added to his line, like Dawson Mercer, uh, is have, are having breakout years. But, yeah, no, I, I definitely see where you come from there, Jeff, uh, you know, in terms of having all this creativity in the middle six and, um, and, and really, you know, getting people to gel before. Let, let me let me finish up with this one then. Um, New Jersey Devils. We'll see what happens tonight. We'll see what happens by the end of the season and, and where they end up in the uh, um, in the Metropolitan Division here. But after the playoffs, is there one player you are most curious about to see how they react to the postseason? I mean, this is like this is you know virgin territory for a lot of players here on the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, are there one or two players obviously not Andre Palat you mentioned walking in the room with the rings, but are there one or two players or maybe just one player that you look at and you say I'm really curious because we always talk about how the officiating changes and it kind of does, but the players change more and the game changes more as well and it becomes a way of, you know, it becomes a a, a, a game where you have to adapt to certain scenarios and adapt to a different style of play where there are no shifts off. Which player intrigues you the most in that situation? Jeff, I want to say this uh, sincerely. We have not seen playoff Jack Hughes yet. Um, I know that's the cop-out easy answer. But I think for him to be able to elevate his game to another level, like you said, the ice time ramps up. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how he kind of reacts to this pressure. And, and, And Jack's been confident about... You know, he he wants the Rangers in the first round, right? So he's he's not shying away from that sort of uh, rivalry type of energy there, too. So I'm I'm curious to see him. I'm curious to see um, even Nico and, and Jesper Bratt. Uh, w- you know, when it comes to you know, in t- in, not for nothing, but in 2018, like that that first round series against the, the Lightning was kind of a dud, right? Now now that the Devils have have their you know core group that that you know is going to be successful as we think for, for a very long time here, I'm curious to see how players like Nico and Jesper, who had that quick taste in 2018, how they mm-hmm. kind of react to uh, the situation here. Um, you know, and, and also uh, another one too is, is Timo. You know, I think Timo too, another guy who's had a taste before, yeah. but nothing, you know, nothing really of note there. Um, Timo has really turned it on lately. Um, you know, he has nine goals since, since the trade deadline and, you know, at first there were some struggles there, and, and uh, you know, he told me today, you know, it was, it was kind of an adjustment to, to step into rough system and really figure it out, um, as did the players, you know, earlier this year. But even some of the longest tenure players had sort of an adjustment level with that coming into the season. Timo had the same thing, and but now it's really turning on. And, um, you know, he's a guy that what, what, what the Devils should love about Timo Meyer and what Devils fans should be ecstatic about is that there's there's now an element of physicality to their game, right? You get a guy who's not afraid to, to throw his body in the offensive zone. You get a guy that, you know, not for nothing at the end of the Bruins game the other day, he's still throwing some, his body around, right? Um, and he's a guy <laughs> that, that has has stepped up um, against that against the Rangers, too. So I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see all these guys. I would probably say that that, that Timo, though, is probably the one that I'm, I'm most looking out for as, as the guy that's going to be like, okay, I could see you stepping out and uh, – and really coming to, yeah. to life in the playoffs. Yeah. Interesting. We're all waiting for it. Uh, man, you cover this team thoroughly. Ryan, thanks as always for stopping by. Much appreciated, pal. Jeff, thank you so much for having me, man. There he is, the great Ryan Novozinski from NJ.com, covering the New Jersey Devils. Big game tonight against the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, quick one, 10 games on the board this evening. A lot of playoff ramifications. Novinsky, thank you. Ambrose, thank you. 
Lucan, thank you. Friedman, thank you. The program returns tomorrow in uh, 22 hours. Join me. <laughs>